Hey, this is Wasabi Boat Research, and I am talking today with Crypto Idealist. I have no idea how I ended up following you on Twitter, but uh, somehow it happened and saw your tweets on the Curve, VE, CRV, Yearn, Convex Finance situation that's going on. And these are protocols that I've been interested in, but I haven't been an investor and I haven't had my money in these. Um, so I haven't been super attentive. I find myself paying more attention to stuff where I have money naturally. Um, but I think, you know, I started looking at this and it so many of the interesting building blocks of DeFi are kind of come into play here. So you have the idea of money Legos, one protocol building itself on top of another protocol and trying to incentivize money to flow this way or that, or trying to incentivize holding or uh, not dumping of tokens. And then you have this idea of short-term gain, you know, farming and dumping versus long-term trying to build up a business that's going to last for dozens, hundreds of years and how you kind of use financial incentives to, to push, push people one way or another. So this is probably the most fascinating story. And it's one that I really have no idea of the details of. So then, uh, crypto idealist when i saw your thread on this i said why don't we get on the phone and just talk about talk through it and and go through everything so thanks for for talking to me today hey wasabi yeah thanks for having me brother i uh i'm glad we got connected and i agree i think it's a very nuanced uh and integral part of DeFi, uh the entire curve ecosystem and the legos that kind of build on top and through it um I've spent a ton of time researching all of this, really an inordinate amount of time. Um, I would say it's pretty much my niche in DeFi is the Curve ecosystem. So uh, definitely not an expert and definitely don't understand the math as well as someone like Charlie or the guys who started Curve, uh, if you saw that recent white paper. But um, I'm happy to talk about it and excited for it. Thanks for having me. So before we get into that, I know you're anonymous on Twitter, so you know not dox yourself. But how how did you get into crypto? How did you find yourself in these protocols, and what what have you been doing um, the last few months to kind of like become become comfortable enough where you can kind of go go uh, go big into these? Sure, sure. So I got into crypto back in well, I first heard of crypto back in 2013. Um, and of course, hindsight, we can always have regret, uh, but I was going to a music festival and I was picking up a friend um, and I just met this guy on Reddit, actually. We were, my friends and I, we were looking on Reddit for the music festival and somebody said, hey, I need a ride. Uh, it was on our way. So we decided to pick this guy up. We stopped by his house and he brings us up to his room and shows us his computer where he's mining Bitcoin. And he tells us all about it. And I, I think I just wasn't in really a money-making phase of my life. I was going to college. I was excited to do that whole thing. And uh, so I, I kind of just shrugged it off. But I saw a man mining Bitcoin in 2013, a 16-year-old. And of course, you know, four years later in 2017, he had such a great time. Uh, he started biking around the country, and he, he lives a completely free life now. I have no idea how much he made on it, but he does whatever the heck he wants all the time, and uh, I'm really happy for him. It's kind of a it's a beautiful thing. But I, I got into crypto back in 2017. I was working real estate. Uh, I was doing about 70, 80 hours a week in real estate for two, two and a half years. Um, that was my hustle, and so... 
I didn't get to pay as much attention to this as I might have, but I had a really good friend who was, who was, and we were roommates for a while. And so I saw him just staring at the charts all day, every day. And I would just ask him questions because I was just curious what he's doing, why he's spending so much time on this and what's going on. And he was trading Ethereum in 2017. And, um, so I started learning, and then through working those 78-hour uh, weeks for the next couple of years, I would still kind of pay a little bit of attention to crypto. Um, then, let's see, it may have been about 2019, I stopped doing real estate. Uh, and one of the first things I started doing was day trading crypto. Um, and, that, and that only lasted a few months because, honestly, I wasn't able to handle the stress at the time. But it was a good primer because then later that year, I'd read the Chainlink white paper and have my mind blown. That that was the moment that I fully realized this would undeniably change the world. And basically, just seeing the mechanics behind how a decentralized pool of actors could operate in a trustless way to verify real-world data and make it immutable on-chain, uh, that, that helped me believe that all the real-world applications envisioned, mostly in the 2017 hype, were actually possible, possible to be executed in a trustless, decentralized manner. So. I got into Chainlink at about $4 right then at the beginning of 2019, and I held up until mid-2020 when crypto again started to get my attention. Um, so I ended up selling Chainlink at $17. I had an easy 4x there, uh, and then I had a friend who I'd been following for years on health topics uh, start talking about crypto, and I finally I had the courage to join his paid group. And at that time, it would have been it was a large portion of the money I had over the course of the year just to join this paid group. Um, but because of that paid group, I found Yearn at $12,000 and put all my Chainlink monies into there. Rode Yearn up to $40,000, um, sold it mostly there. Then I kind of got greedy and used Ave to make leverage and got liquidated a bit on the way down. Um, but through all that, I got to participate in DeFi Summer. Um, and because of that, I had a great primer uh, to then come back into crypto uh, in about December of 2020, this last year, uh, and then go full time and all day, every day, just be in this space and participating. Do you see yourself as more of a, still kind of doing a lot of trading in and out of stuff? Or are you now more kind of buy and hold? Or what do you think about in terms of like your time horizon? Yeah, I, I always, um, I, I knew, I didn't start with a whole lot of funds, and I was living off of, after I stopped doing real estate, I was living on what I had in savings. Um, so I was, take I took a portion of that, and I decided I would play very risky, and I was doing the day trading, um, then I held link, then I did a bit more day trading through DeFi Summer, then I kind of just was out for a bit. Um, then starting this year, certainly a lot of in and out, a lot of in and out. Um, and that was because I started with relatively low funds and I knew I wanted, I had my targets and I knew to get there, I needed to play risky. But now that I've gotten a bit further down the road, I started getting to a point where, and I, I always knew Curve would be my backup plan. As I made money, I intended to take more and more out into Curve and farming safely on Curve. And so that's been my plan. And then when Convex popped up, it was a great opportunity for me to say, hey, this is the time. Not only can I save farm curve, but I can do it in a way that's actually providing me a great return. And so now I'm mostly passive, but I've taken a portion of my portfolio, about 20%, and I'm still playing with that. Okay, so you brought up curve. And so let's kind of transition into 
the main topic that we're going to talk about today. So we're talking about the interplay of these three protocols, curve, urine, and convex. So Mm -hmm. curve, I'll give you like my kindergarten level understanding is that, (laughs) you know, you've got, you've got tokens and you've got stable coins, mainly US dollar, Euro, or, you know, other ones, newer ones that are kind of pegged to volatile assets. And you're trading them and you can either go to a place like Uniswap or SushiSwap and they're using the XY equals K uh, formula to, to do price pricing of the, of the tokens when you're, when you're swapping. Or you can go to somewhere like Curve which has a different mechanism for uh, providing liquidity and it's kind of more optimized around, you know, things that are like 99 cent to a dollar to a dollar one or kind of like very tightly in that range near exact peg is that uh have i got that right or is there is there a kind of deeper story that i'm missing here there's definitely a deeper story uh but i think that you've got a general gist of it there um curve is it's it's it is a uh, amm so it's an automated market maker it's a decentralized exchange just like sushi swap and uniswap uh, the main differentiating factor being some of their math uh, and the behind the scenes of how their pools work, but also that they're mainly focused on stable coins. So kind of like you know you might go to you know might go to a store specifically that sells clothing to buy clothes, but you could buy clothes at Walmart. That's a convenience store for everything. Um, so in a similar way, Uniswap and SushiSwap have kind of taken more of the convenience store route where they have all the assets. And then something like Curve says, hey, we're only going to do stable coins, uh, which are more or less pegged to the dollar, or other types of peg assets like derivatives of Bitcoin, so different derivative products. Um, and so they've, they've really hyper-focused in on this niche, and because of that, they have an incredible amount of liquidity for those assets, so much so that it is much better for traders to trade on Curve for stable coins, especially in size. And, and we can talk about that and how liquidity pools work. Um, that's something I had planned for later down the road, but wherever you want to go with it. And is, is when you're providing liquidity to Curve, it's, it's also different in that you can just provide one asset, right? Like you don't have to provide a 50-50 mix or is that, is it work some other way? Yes, so you just provide the asset that you want to provide. So if you're in the three pool, you could provide DAI, you could provide USDC or USDT. Um, and so that gives people a lot of flexibility for what they're able to do and how they're able to use their assets um, and not demanding that people be in one thing or the other. And, and that's very important for stablecoins as well because with stablecoins, they all run on different models. And, and you would say, well, why do we have all these different stablecoins? Why can't we just have one that makes sense? Well, that's decentralization. Um, and the fact that they maintain their peg in different ways. You have custodial stable coins, and then you have algorithmic stable coins. Custodial stable coins say, you give us a dollar, we'll give you one of our stable coins. And we hold that dollar, and that way, if you ever wanted to give that stable coin back to us, we've got your dollar uh, to give it back. And so that's how they maintain their dollar peg, essentially. Uh, and then you have algorithmic stablecoins, which say, well, we might do some combination of that, but essentially we maintain the peg through a series of incentives that incentivize buyers and sellers to arbitrage and to keep this at the dollar amount. 
And the benefits of that are that when it's decentralized and algorithmic, there is no source that you need to trust other than the code. Uh, and that's the ethos of crypto in general, I think, is cutting out the middlemen and just trusting code. Whereas with these custodial coins, you have to trust that Tether is holding your dollars and not rehypothecating them, which they are. And you have to trust that someone like, or someone like USDC is doing things in a way that's not going to be at risk of a government agency or someone like that coming in and saying, hey, you are issuing a security here and we need to shut you down or otherwise regulate you. So there, there are risks that come in with that custodial uh, nature of something. And so that's what uh, I think the algorithmics have some some benefits there. Yeah. So I think uh, we were talking before about our experience with algorithmic stable coins, and it's almost like kind of like running joke now on Twitter. Like it's this they're in this kind of phase of hyper uh, innovation and development and trying to figure out a model that works. And there are models that are kind mm -hmm. of pure algorithmic where uh, there's no uh, backing with assets at all. There's, you know, like the maker model where you're putting ETH or other assets in behind it at a over collateralized and, and minting it that way but then um or or sorry fracks where there's like a, a pool of us dollars in it and that's kind of going down as the the algorithm gets better and better at working so how how would you look at kind of like the different risk levels or like each stable coin kind of has its own risk profile how do you think about if you were to kind of rank them from riskiest to least risky how do you think about doing that yeah, I think that's a really, I think it's a really personal question, honestly. Um, and I think that's why Curve exists to a degree in the way that it does and having all these pools for all these different stable coins and letting people kind of arbitrage between them. Um, because I think that we're just, we're such in the early stages of this playing out. But in reality, there's no reason that our stable coins need to peg to the US dollar per se. Um, I think that we're moving more towards a future where we have, and, and you see protocols like Bank, Float or Bank, um, and, and a few others who are kind of just creating a floating peg. Uh, and I know Ohm and all the Omis uh, are doing that as well there. And so they're kind of doing this more on like, let's have a unit of account that equals one or some other value, and that just be the unit of account, not that that necessarily equals a dollar. And that's important because if you believe that the dollar is inflating or losing its value, well, then it might be a scenario where you actually need multiple dollars to get a unit of account one in crypto. And so I think that's more of where we're headed. Um, and so everyone's kind of gaming this out right now and testing, battle testing different theories. And it's it's really a hodgepodge of who's going to win and a, a toss up. Um Personally, I'm a big fan of liquidity. I think that uh, with ETH and July 14th, the London update potentially moving us more towards deflationary model and ETH being a better store of value, in addition to being programmatic money, I think that liquidity and using ETH as collateral for their stablecoin uh, really kind of makes a lot of sense, uh, as well as when you hear uh, the founder talk and outline some of the ways liquidity works. Uh, and, and you can look into the documentation too. It's it's they have very, very well designed uh, mechanisms for keeping peg, um, and making sure that the investors who are essentially buying in to keep the peg do not lose their funds. Um, and, and and protocols like ESD and DSD and that uh, more more on the risky end for sure um, because 
I, I don't know that we should get into that. I, I think that it's 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 very personal, and you should look into these things and see how they're working, and if they're incentivizing greed or if they're incentivizing actual utility and using some form of over, over collateralization uh, with liquidation mechanisms in place to ensure that no one's funds are lost. Mm-hmm. And there has ne- has never been, to your knowledge, any event where any of these assets that are in Curve has significantly broken peg is that right like they're from what i understand like they're super conservative about which assets they pick to go into these pools yes as far as i know nothing has happened and i feel like i would have heard about it um with the euros there's uh there's actually some talk right now that there might be something to happen with the euros pool um i haven't looked too deeply into that to know exactly what but somebody uh, i was reading that in certain areas uh but again that pool is just uh, euros to s euros so it's it wouldn't affect any other liquidity and that that's that's another reason why this is so well designed because um when they do take risks they often do it in a way that doesn't put uh it it, it limits the risk to just that singular pool and things are traded in a way that um like for instance we've got eth st eth pool Right, so like in that pool, the risk is between those two assets, which are theoretically pegged to each other. But something happens with one of those, you're not impacting USDC, USDT, or any of those the other pools on uh, Curve. So they've they've kind of segmented this out in a way. All right, so let's let's take it from here. So I've got a hundred k US dollars sitting in my bank account, and uh, I'm earning 0.001 percent or some negligible amount of money. And I, I heard about this thing, Curve, and I can get these juicy APYs on these kind of weird-looking dollar things. So wh- why would I, I want to jump over and put my money on Coinbase and then take it out onto my ledger and then plug it into Curve? What's going on there, and what's, what's in it for just a random person that has okay. US dollars? Um, well, like you said, the biggest advantage would be the higher returns that you're able to get on your money. So you can convert your US dollars that you're earning less than a percent on at your bank, and you can convert them to a crypto stablecoin, um, either one of the algorithmic or custodial ones we talked about earlier. You can deposit it to a pool on Curve, um, which is essentially a place where people exchange different stablecoins for each other. Um, and for your providing uh, what is essentially you're giving water to the buckets that people then go and move water from one bucket to the other bucket. Like that's how this trading works. There's two buckets and representing two different assets and those are the pools. And so when you give money to one of those pools, you are adding a level to that bucket and then somebody can go in there and scoop one from one take that and give to the other bucket and they can use the liquidity you provided to trade um so for doing that you earn a portion of the fees uh and that's where the apys are coming from here and even even just that the trading fees themselves are going to be higher than the bank uh that you'd be getting that money sitting in the bank looking at curve right now we've got like five percent anywhere from 0.5 to five percent as a base fee uh, and then on top of that you're going to be earning CRV which is their native token so that that'll boost the reward up to anywhere between 
you know, 10 and even I see some on here that are 40%, as high as 40% on stable coins. So something that theoretically doesn't change in value at all. Um, you have no volatility risk and you're earning up to 40% uh, on that asset. So the base APY, the rewards are given to you in whatever asset you're contributing to the pool. So that's component one. And then component two is the CRV rewards on top of that, um, right? Actually, I'm fairly certain. So some of these pools incentivize with the token that you're providing. Um, so for example, Alchemix, you give to that pool, they're going to give you some uh, ALUSD as a reward. But the base APY, is, as far as I understand, is paid in three CRV. So that is kind of curves representative of the, it's a stablecoin itself, um, which is a representative of the trading fees. So all trading fees are paid out in three CRV. And one, one of the things that really kind of attracted me about Curve was this ultra long time horizon they have. So can you kind of set us up like, you know, if you've jumped into any like DeFi farming, you know, you'll see things like, you know, we've got this two week liquidity mining or a 22 week or a six, you know, six months or something. But Curve, correct me if I'm wrong, but their time horizon is something like 300 years. So how does that... Uh, how how is that designed? What's what's what are the incentives that they're trying to set up with this three hundred year sure. time horizon? So so with Curve, I think it's it's very intriguing because they're trying to play one of the longest term games in crypto, um, and this is actually not too different than Sushi Swap or Uniswap. Um, Sushi Swap and Uniswap also have theoretically infinite inflation, um, and this is very different from most DeFi protocols where there is a hard cap. Uh, on the asset. And when you look in CoinGecko or CoinMarketCap or wherever you're exploring tokens, you may see a max supply number there. And that can be misleading because it doesn't actually always mean that there is that is the max supply or that there even is one. So you do have to look deeper into these protocols, read their documentations and things like that. But with SushiSwap, Uniswap, and Curve, um, or with SushiSwap and Uniswap, they have infinite inflation. Uh, they have a plan for that. Though it seems like a little bit more flexible than curves, which is we ha do have a hard cap, but we're going to get to it in about 300 years. And this is the math for how that works out. And so that makes it a very logical decision when you look at that and you want to be involved in it um, to decide how you want to be involved and how you value that thing. And so when you have a protocol like most of these farms that we're looking at, uh, including Convex, by the way, um, that essentially will have all of their supply released in maybe three to five years. Uh, that's a situation where then rewards are going to dry up at a point, these additional rewards that are being paid out. So for Curve, we said you deposit and you get paid in the base fee, and then you also get paid in CRV. Well, you can be sure you're going to also get paid in CRV for about 300 years. Um, so that is an additional reward for something uh, like Convex, actually, which I still am very big on. That those rewards of their CVX token will dry up at a point, and what that will essentially do is incentivize competition. So for most of these DeFi protocols, I think that they have a very short time horizon. In a sense, they'll go for however many years their inflation goes, and as the inflation gets close to being capped out you'll probably see a scenario where a competitor arises, offers an entirely new inflative governance token, and just takes most of liquidity over. 
Um, and that's a situation that you actually can't have really happen with Curve, not only because of the 300 years that their supply is inflating, but because of the lockup mechanisms. And so that's something we could get into if you want to talk about that now. Yeah, one more question on that. So like these base APYs of, you know, half a percent to three to five percent, that's kind of a function of the people being willing to trade on curve and pay those fees, right? So like, is there a moat in terms of could could a competitor come along and charge a lower fee and kind of suck up the liquidity from curve? Or, you know, if that happens, then is it just the supply and demand to trade at a certain fee structure that's kind of driving the, the usage of yeah, curve I, now? Yeah, I think what you're describing is like the theoretical race to the bottom that uh, some people describe on fees, where if your advertising factor is primarily that you have low fees, well, then somebody else could come out and just advertise lower fees. But the reality in crypto and why it's so cool with these decentralized systems is those fees aren't just a company deciding that they want to charge lower fees. For us, this is actual users who are providing liquidity to these systems deciding what fee is acceptable for them to be involved. So the way I would see it is if someone came out and tried to basically create curve with lower fees, you might have some liquidity go over there to play that game and earn their native token, call it ZZZ, right? Um, but I think that most people would say, well, we could go and do that, but we know that as the inflation of ZZZ wears on, I'll just be earning this smaller fee as the base APY, and I can earn a higher fee over a curve. So I think that the market kind of decides, right? The market decides what is an acceptable fee. Um, and, and also the interesting thing with Curve is not even getting into the lockups and things like that, but this is all decentralized governance and Curve is one of the best in terms of how actually decentralized governing they are. So what will happen is if it does become a scenario where a competitor comes out with lower fees and the liquidity providers on Curve say, hey, we're okay with lowering our fees, and a majority of them are willing to do that, then the protocol actually can be changed, as far as I understand, for lower fees. Um, I would have to confirm that, but from my understanding of the system, if governance decided we want to charge less fees, they could do so through either direct or creative means. Um, and so I think that's what gives Curve the flexibility against competitors doing that. But ultimately, it's the liquidity providers who decide what are we willing to lock our capital up for. And if you go too low on that number, they just won't they won't lock their liquidity up. Okay, so why don't we get into the the locking of the CRV token? So, uh, from what I understand, Curve you know says, "Hey, we're going to reward you with the CRV token," and a lot of people were depositing in Curve, getting the CRV token, and then immediately selling it to just put more back into the underlying pool or do what, what else with it. So that kind of created a problem as so many of these yield farming projects have of their native token getting dumped, right? So how, how did they deal with this problem? What was the mechanism that they came sure. up with? So, so yeah, that is the main problem. Um, if you give your native token as rewards and that's of significant portion of the APY, well, a rational actor says I sell that reward and get that APY while I'm sure that I have it. 
Um, so you need some sort of value accrual mechanism to your native token so that you back essentially back it by something more real. Um, so what several protocols have done is they've done that in the terms of dividends. Uh, so you get a portion of the trading fees. For instance, with Curve, that is actually one of the mechanisms. So half of the trading fees actually go to the liquidity providers who are providing liquidity to these pools. The other half goes to people who stake CRV. Um, so on a, on a base level, that is providing right now about a 10%. Uh, it fluctuates between about 10 and 15% APY just to stake CRV and earn those trading fees. So that that is one level of it. Um, and a lot of protocols will do something similar to that. The difference with Curve is when you stake with them, you stake for a period of one, two, or four years. So obviously that's a, that's a lot of time to commit something, that, especially a volatile asset. You're committing staking CRV, which you then have volatility risk on, for what is right now a 10-15% APY that could be changing. So that is a trade-off that someone could make, and to further incentivize that, they've done something else, which is to say, on curve, when you provide liquidity, you earn the base APY on the trading fees. Then you earn CRV rewards, which is a share of the inflation. The CRV rewards that you earn can be boosted up to two and a half times. So I'm looking at the three pool right now, and the CRV, the base APY is 0.63%. That's just off the fees for that pool. The CRV inflationary rewards are 3%. Now, if you are to lock up CRV for four years, and there's a math equation to figure out how much you'd need to lock up, but I've worked it out, and it's essentially the amount that you want to farm with. So if you're farming with $10,000, you lock $10,000 of CRV. And it, it fluctuates, so don't hold me on that. But if you were to lock up that CRV for four years, now that APY and CRV rewards goes from 3% to 7.5%. So in addition to locking up CRV and making trading fee rewards at about 10 to 15%, you also boost your yield within the liquidity pools. So this really incentivizes actors who want to do both in a sense, want to provide liquidity to the platform and help the platform stabilize long ter term by staking these coins for a long period of time. Got it. So they've set up this incentive to boost your APY for the stable coins or whatever you're putting in on the base layer up to two, two and a half times by locking up the CRV for multiple yeah, years, yeah. right? And it, so is it, you have to do an, an increment. Is it, It's like weeks, right? Like you can pick how many weeks you're locking it. Is that right? Uh, my understanding was it was one or two, one, two or four years um, as, as like just flat okay. amount of times that you could do. Um, there might be a way to just do the weeks though. I, I don't know that for sure. But four okay. years provides the maximum amount of benefit. So if you lock up for four years, you're getting um, more benefit on the boost up to two and a half times than you would if you just locked up for a year. Okay, so all of these dynamics, the yield boosting for if you're in there for four years creates this kind of market opportunity for other protocols to, to build on top of this, right? So I guess now we should kind of get into to yearn. So when was Yearn launched and how does it kind of interplay with Curve? Sure. 
So Yearn launched in DeFi summer last year. Um, so this was about, I believe it was July that they officially launched. It may have been June, June or July. And um, essentially what Yearn did that was genius uh, is they said, well, this is a great system, Curve has designed. But we understand some people are going to want to just farm stablecoins. And some people might actually want to take on the volatility risk of CRV. Um, and, and personally, me, I'm in the category where I'm fine to take on the volatility risk of CRV. I think that's going to be a good bet for me long term. But I could understand how many people would look at this and say, that just doesn't make sense for my business model. I just want to provide something that's stable, non-volatile asset and get a return on that uh, for helping Curve do swaps. So cool. Um, so what Yearn said is, we'll, we will match those two people together. The people who want to just provide CRV uh, and stake it and take on that volatility risk, but also get the gains of that. And then the people who just want to yield farm and provide stable coins. And we'll match those two people together. And that way, everyone makes the most they can make while also taking on the risk that they want to risk. Uh, and they set up their incentives so it makes sense that people do that. Uh, do both sides of that. And that's not all they do. Yearn is essentially a DeFi hedge fund. So they have plenty of strategies that arise from their community. Um, and, and this is one of the coolest parts about community governance is their multi-sig, the people who essentially control the code and what happens, um, were people that arised, like, like Banteg, that arised from the community itself. And people just said, this is someone who's saying good things and we like the direction they might take the protocol. We're going to give them the power to do X, Y, Z. Um, and then anyone from the community can come up with a strategy to acquire yield, whether it's plugging into Curve or plugging in somewhere else. And if the community likes that strategy, it's implemented. And then people can decide to be a part of that uh, with their capital or not. So it's, it's a DeFi hedge fund in the sense that it invests across the entirety of crypto. Um, and it's still very much in the hands of its users and its owners. Um, and they also did a very, they did a hard cap supply that be reached within, I believe it was a month, uh, it got reached, uh, the Wi-Fi supply. So this was very underground at the time. So it wasn't farmed by, you know, Alameda and SBF weren't dumping 500 million or a billion dollars into it to farm up as much of the supply as they could. This was a kind of grassroots uh, starting where there were a lot of participants who farmed this thing for a month. And so the supply got very well distributed. Um, and that created a system where there were, weren't too many dominant players. Um, and so in addition to all the DeFi hedge fund stuff they do, their primary strategy has been CRV. And now they've actually scaled it back. It's, it's as far as I understand from the stats that I've seen, it's about 42% of their entire uh, strategy. Um, but essentially, they're matching people who want to lock CRV and people who just want to farm it. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I had, I had when I was introduced to Yearn also last summer, DeFi summer, like the the concept that made sense to me was like you said, the hedge fund, right? So I have assets mm -hmm. in this token. I want to put them in, and I know that there are all these crazy yield farms everywhere. But I've got a job. I don't have time to be farming and compounding or reinvesting, or I don't necessarily have the money in gas, it wouldn't make sense for me to do all these Ethereum transactions when gas is crazy. So why not 
put it together in this big pool and have the pool kind of in an algorithmic way do these transactions for me right and they're taking a fee off of that right so it's like we're we're going to find the best opportunities in DeFi for you for this asset and do it for you in exchange for mm-hmm. a cut right so but then when i looked at the urine homepage, you know their their headline and in my kind of non-crypto world i do a lot of copywriting and uh kind of like financial copywriting and stuff so like their headline has always been maximize your crv rewards so it just struck me as a little bit strange that it's not like grow your money you know get 10 percent mm-hmm. a year get 20 percent a year that it's based on this other protocol, right? So, and I, my, my question that I had for you is like, how much of Yearn is connected to CRV? And I think you answered it earlier. So it's forty-two percent. So I guess, would you say that's kind of trending downward as they branch out into these other, like they're doing Link, they're doing WBTC, they're doing these other farms that have come out now. So or other pools that have come out now. So would you say that the curve importance is going down, or is it still really critical to their business? You know, it's it's a really interesting point, and and it's something Benteg's been talking a lot about. Uh, one of the lead devs and community spokespeople is uh, talking a lot about on Twitter lately. Um, and you're right; I just went to the urine page myself, and it still has that maximize your CFV rewards. It's it's really a marketing thing, I think, because um, when they started, that was a very attractive uh, narrative to say that we're a DeFi hedge fund. Um, and more like what you said, you know, if you want to just passively invest your money and not have to worry about moving it around all the time, um, we'll do that for you and we'll take a fee for it. Um, but what we kind of found after the yearn pumped to 40000 and then it fell and it was just kind of flat for a very long time um, was that actually there's not so much of a demand for that right now because there are so many people in crypto that actually are fine to actively manage their funds because they see that they could yield more returns that way. Um, at least just because they don't have to pay urine a fee. If not, that they're willing to go into more risky things that urine doesn't do. Um, so now that curve has really been kind of taking off into the narrative, I think that on one hand, urine highlighting the degree to which they're maximizing your CRV rewards, what they say on the first page, is a good strategy because everyone's very talking about, very much talking about Curve right now. Um, They're also trying to say that we do do all this other stuff as well. As new participants enter the market, uh, as you have Mark Cuban, you know, last night just posting a blog post talking about how DeFi is going to, uh, could change business forever. And so we, we always anticipate more and more into institutions and uh, more traditional finance people getting involved. And, and to them, I think something like urine is very attractive. You know, a DeFi hedge fund where they don't have to worry as much about actively managing their funds. Um, and also something like CRV is very attractive, you know, itself. Just let me deposit stable coins, uh, not have the volatility risk of what is the most volatile ecosystem in all of the world. Uh, in finance, in that crypto, um, and still make DeFi yields. So does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, no, it does. Um, so I, the the next point I kind of want, want to understand is this relation, like, you know, DeFi, Money Legos, these two protocols are fitting together, but oftentimes it's not a win-win, right? Like if, if my protocol is farming and dumping your protocol, that's not you know you don't you don't like that right so what is the 
current state or is it kind of different vault by vault? Like what is urine doing there? Are they contributing to locking more of the CRV or are they some strategies still dumping it or how, how does that work and how is like the, the relationship between them evolving? Sure, sure. They they have a percent. Uh, I don't know it off the top of my head, but they have a percent that they use of the earnings to buy back CRV and lock it, uh, and that benefits everyone who's in the pool because they get increased rewards for locking more CRV. Um, and then the rest of it is sold uh, for more, um, essentially dumping CRV. And, and so that's something that urine has been accused of and, and farm has been accused of is essentially vampiring a little bit uh, other platforms because they're just dumping uh, and providing a massive amount of sell pressure. Um, I think that the narrative is starting to change now with Convex. Convex has kind of forced the issue here. Um, and I would anticipate urine to start incentivizing more and more lockups um, because the stats show uh, when you see, you know, DeFi Moon is one of the people on Twitter I look at too for a lot of the stats, um, and and you could just see how the how Convex is locking up CRV at an incredible astronomical rate. And and I know we haven't gotten to Convex yet, but this is kind of puts in context. Yearn, Yearn locked up about 16 million CRV over the last almost year now. So they do a bit of both, right? They do some dumping and they do some locking mm-hmm. and there's it's kind of basically strategy by strategy, right? Correct, correct. And so then the other point to know is that, like you mentioned, they did kind of like a very quick uh, token emission last summer and that's basically done, right? Like they're not emitting more Wi-Fi tokens that was part of their narrative. Like there's only a certain amount and that's done, right? Yeah, they chose they chose a different model. So instead of... Uh, like you said, instead of issuing Wi-Fi for 300 years or something like that, right? They're just they issued it in over the course of a month, and they're using fees of the performance fees of what they generate through Yearn to buy back Wi-Fi, which essentially gives value to all the people. Theoretically, gives value to everyone who's using Yearn. Um, so it's a different model, yeah. But it's not a token that they're issuing as a reward. Right? No. So no. like, yeah. in some sense, that's where the convex comes into play, right? Because they, other protocols can use their tokens as kind of like this currency to pay out to incentivize their use, right? So that's, I think, exactly. a good point to, to bring up convex, which is this new protocol that's launched, what, in the last couple months? So it's just been a month and a half. How, I mean, maybe just a month now. I think it was around mid-May, yeah. Yeah, I know. DeFi, it's like, you know, we were supposed to talk last Feels week. Feels like forever. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it got pushed back, and then, like, 10 new things have happened. So that's that's why, yeah, you know, yeah. I like to have these conversations. I like to kind of slow things down and, uh, and think about, like, the protocols that are going to be around in 10, 50, 300 years. I mean, like, you know, we're talking about the beginning, like, just general like trading strategies like i think in the last year i've become convinced that like this is this space is not going to go anywhere this is going to be you know like we were talking about like this is going to be the new financial system or this is going to be a a significant part of it and so Mm -hmm. you don't you don't need to be right that many times to have like life-changing investments in that kind of space right like it's kind of more about taking time to understand these things deeply and thinking on a long-term horizon because it's like 
there's no other space. I know it's, you know, you sound like you're in the U S but like, you know, you can't, I can't just like roll up and make, make a venture investment unless I'm an accredited investor. So unless you're in DeFi, Mm -hmm. right. Unless you're in the space where you can find the next Amazon and, you know, buy into it the, the weekend that it launches. So six weeks ago, convex launches, they are also kind of built on top of CRV. How are they positioning themselves? against the CRV and urine dynamic. So so kind of um, similar, I know we talked earlier, you know, Sushi and Uniswap kind of taking that convenience store approach where we do everything. Um, and then Curve saying, we just do swaps of stable coins. Uh, in a similar way, Yearn is the DeFi hedge fund, right? That now does only 42% of their strategy CRV farming. Convex says, we're all in. All we do is CRV farming. That's what we are. Um, and the benefit of that, which you alluded to, is that they have a token, their native token, CVX, uh, that they can give as an additional reward to incentivize uh, lockup of CRV and people putting their liquidity uh, or, or plugging into Curve through Convex. Um, and so this actually illustrates the point we made earlier, too, of why it's so important that Curve has a 300-year inflation tail and why most of these protocols that exist right now are probably going to get beaten out is because they only have the four or five years on their inflation tails. And then what happens when your inflation's all done? The rewards dry up and a competitor comes out. And that's exactly kind of what happened here with Yearn and Convex. Yearn doesn't have Wi-Fi to give out as a reward because they farmed it all so quickly. So it incentivized convex to pop up and do essentially the same thing within the domain of crv farming but have additional rewards that they can issue so and and, so it's essentially the same thing where convex says we understand some people just want to farm uh through curve with stable assets some people want to take on the volatility risk of crv and lock it up for a determined period of time uh and we'll match those two people together and, and, and making the incentives work well enough that everyone's happy, that everyone's happy to be Got a part it. of that so system. What did they do to grow so quickly? Like how they seem to have come out of nowhere and suddenly they're have got, you know, they're locking faster than YFI. Like how, how, how did they manage to scoop up so much liquidity so fast? Yeah, it, it was a bit of the, a bit of uh, two things. One being, like I said, that they have additional rewards to give, um, and we can get deeper into that. The other part of it is that they it was the right time. I mean, it was perfect timing. The market, I can look, but I know it was around mid-May when everything started trending down, when you know we went down to uh, 2K ETH for a moment, uh, and I think I leaved in a little under for a second. So everything was very fearful, and Convex is released. And so in one aspect anything that's released when everything else is going down kind of has that advantage of being well we're new and then people start putting their money there because it's the one thing going up while everything else is going down and so i've seen that in some as- several assets actually that i've invested in over the last month um who are taking advantage of that exact principle and then the other part of it is if curve and CRV farming stable coins is the safest thing you can do because there's no volatility risk on those stable coins. Mm. Well, it's the perfect place you want to be if the market is trending down or if people are fearful. Because when people are fearful, 
then it makes sense. Let me get in stable coins. Let me get in something that's non-volatile, theoretically, and I can make a good APY on it. So it, it was perfect timing for this thing to be released that also had the benefits of saying, well, now we're going to issue our CVX where the only other place you could do this yearn has no additional rewards to issue. So now it, it's, it's, it's adding another layer on top of it of Curve, essentially creating a user interface for people to use Curve. Well, you said they're creating a user interface on top of Curve, and that's one thing in DeFi. Like, I'm I'm not a coder, but if I if I was, this is the area that I would be building stuff in because I think you know, kind of a side note, but like Vfat.tools, like this farming calculator, I think that's that's like oh yeah, the ultimate interface, right? It's like providing a front end to not just one farm, but like all the new farms. So it's like a combination of, of kind of like mm -hmm. discovery of the new projects and also then doing the transactions directly from there. And I Well and ideally like you would you would have a combination of something like Zapper and VFAT. Like that would be the dream. Like if, if you could have a Zapper UI interface which is just beautiful and very well done that anyone could go on there and relatively easy under, easily understand what they're doing and plug themselves into where they want to go. And then something like VFAT, which is much more gorilla in its appearances and function, but it's got everything that's, you know, it, it's the most on top of it. What's the new farm? Where is it at? Where are all the um, potential yields and values? Where mm -hmm. it, it's got the best data for sure of, of anywhere for farm data. Mm -hmm. So, okay, to get back to like the, the urine convex thing. So convex is sucked up the liquidity because they're kind of this easy to use interface and they have this additional reward of their native token that they're giving out, right? So then, you mm -hmm. know, I've seen like Blue Kirby, I've seen other people tweeting out that, you know, there there's this kind of race between Yearn and Convex to lock up more CRV. But like, is is this yeah. or is this not a zero sum game? And could could there be kind of like a two winner? Could this be like a Coke and Pepsi situation? Or is this, a, are the dynamics something where like one is kind of like by the nature of the game going to become dominant it's definitely going to be multiplayer game uh and, and i that's the ideal too because that's crypto you know decentralized don't have uh, a single point of failure don't have a single point of entry so i don't think it's a zero-sum game i think that yearn's going to be a big player in this i think that convex is going to be a big player in this i think that there's going to be a c d and e option that will pop up over the next three to five years um that will also be have a part in this and the reason being is essentially what's happening is there's a race to lock up crv um and and, and that's not to say convex won't be number one and they won't have a huge share of the market you're be number two and then a three four and five and it'll look like something like a 30 20 uh 10 10 10 distribution or something like that of the total crv farming but when you have systems like this it as far as i see it there's no incentive for me now to lock up on curve natively the uh, as long as i'm okay with the additional smart contract risk and the additional layer of that the incentives are such that it most makes sense for me to go through something like convex or yearn um and the reason i think there's going to be a c d and e player is the same principle that what convex has done to yearn will happen to convex so when convex cvx rewards start drying up uh it will just it will make sense that a new competitor arises that says 
we now have a completely new schedule of inflation. And so essentially what's happening is these native tokens are buying locked up CRV. And the very valuable point to note that I don't think everyone's aware of uh, is that the CRV that you lock up with urine and convex are locked up forever. So no one, two, or four year lock-in curve, a forever lock-in curve is set by the smart contracts for those platforms. So the CRV that Convex has, which I believe I did the math and it's 1% already of all the curve that will ever be issued over the 300 years, 1% of all the curve that will ever be issued is already locked up forever on Convex. So at least all of the trading that Curve does in perpetuity, 1% of it will be flowing through Convex, which is huge. Um, at the very least, they'll get 1%. And so Convex, by giving you this one-time reward, they're able to get that four-year max lockup in perpetuity. So it seems like that's they're getting a really good deal from, from this side of the equation, right? Like if, if their time span is on the hundreds of years, then that's an incredible deal for them. Yeah, yeah, an incredible deal. And, and for urine as well, because theirs is locked up forever too, right? Um, so for anyone who's playing this game, and then both of them have a mechanism where a percentage of the performance fees uh, from their earnings are going back to lock up more CRV. So uh, there are mechanisms where even if there wasn't CVX being issued anymore, right? there would still be the performance fee on both of the uh, CVX CRV pool and the CVX pool, uh, which is 10% and 5% respectively of all the income that Convex makes. Uh, and a portion of that is used to buy back CRV and lock it as CVX CRV. And then that's paid to the people who lock up CVX. So that got a little hairy there, I feel. But essentially when you lock CVX, the rewards are paid in CVX CRV. And that is the performance fee that's being used to buy back or buy CRV and lock it, uh, essentially. So that is a mechanism by which even if there wasn't any CVX being locked anymore, because Convex has however much they have by the time that their rewards end, however much CRV they have locked, that essentially gives them a moat forever of liquidity that makes sense to be on Convex as long as Curve is still a thing. Uh, so that's the base layer assumption, is that Curve is this forever 300-year protocol. And if you believe that, Convex will always have at least that 1% share of the liquidity. And right now it's much higher because all of CRV is not issued. Um, and because of that, there will always be a performance fee. And because of that, there will always be additional CRV being locked by Convex. So in that sense, it is not a winner-take-all game, but there's definitely benefits to whoever's leading um but it's a race to lock up crv while your inflationary rewards remain there and that's that's what i don't think wi-fi has any advantage uh in, in incentivizing more lockup what percentage does wi-fi have uh given that it's about half of of like wi-fi has about 15 million convex has about 35 it's changed a little bit in the past week so those numbers aren't quite accurate but let's say it's that so Convex has 1% then of the total 300 million curve that will ever exist. I think it's, it's around 300 million. Um, so they have about 1%. Yearn has about 0.5% then of all the CRV that will ever exist. And then currently, let's see, CRV. Currently there's 332 uh, million uh, CRV. And the total CRV is 
Um, it says on CoinMarketCap and CoinGecko 1.5 billion, but that's not actually correct. Again, you have to look deeper into these protocols and look at the documentation. Um, but it's actually 3 billion, around 3 billion, I believe. So Convex has 1% locked up right now, and Urine has about 0.5%. Okay, so before we get off uh, Convex and Curve, like the, the qu- one question I had was, so like today, there's a finite amount of CRV that could issue that is available for anyone to get, right? And so consequently that there's a finite amount of stable coins on Curve that could achieve max boost, right? Yes. Yes. So, so does that in some way like limit the growth of Curve? Like, is the gr- growth of Curve going to track along this Curve token issuance, or how does that? In, in that sense, it is kind of zero sum, right? So like today, there's a certain number of CRV that are issued, and those can either go to urine, convex, or anything else, right? And so like on any given day, it's it is a zero sum game, both in terms of how big, how much max rewards can be gotten on curve and who can be the who can get the get those rewards of these other protocols or users right 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 and and the inflation is decreasing too so in august uh it goes down uh the next next year it goes down the year after that goes on and that's how they maintain this for 300 years is the inflation rate goes down every year so yeah there's an increasingly smaller amount of crv available to boost yield uh, whereas there's an increasing number of liquidity wanting boosted yield. So when you kind of math that out, as long as you think Curve's going to grow in terms of volume and liquidity, which them adding volatile assets, which I know we'll get into, opens up the floodgates uh, for more liquidity. Um, so as long as you think liquidity is going to be coming more and more to CRV, what you would expect, and less CRV is being issued, uh, you would expect CRV's price to just go up and up as more and more demand for locked CRV, uh, as there's more and more demand. And then when that price goes up, when you game that out, now everyone's yields go up. Because if the yields are being paid out in CRV, there may be less that's being issued, but the less that's being issued is worth more. And so um, this is where you know Curve is a very mathematical protocol. You know, they've really designed this out so that everything balances very well. As the demand goes up for CRV, the price goes up, yield goes up, more liquidity comes chasing yield. Then as liquidity goes up, more uh, demand for CRV, and it's 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 a very reflexive kind of circle, circular uh, flywheel, as I've heard many people say on uh, Twitter of late. So... Convex has 1% of this flywheel. Yearn has about half a percent. Do you see, are, are there any kind Correct. of glaring yeah. open? And because of that, they'll have this advantage going forward for 300 years. Are there any kind of like market opportunities you see for someone to come and do even better? Or is it like kind of like a Coke and Pepsi, like these people already have their network set up all over and they're just kind of going to squeeze out. They're big enough now that they can squeeze out new entrants. No, I mean, because to, to think about it, like 1% and half a percent, I mean, that's that's still very small, right? And, and they'll continue to grow, but I think the point being that they'll grow, urine will grow as much as it can basically use its performance fees to buy and lock CRV. Uh, Convex will grow similarly, um, 
but mostly as long as it can incentivize more CRV lockup with its CVX issuance. That one percent is like the three hundred year pie. Like, what is the pie today? Like the slice. Like oh, you can I see think what you're of saying. two different pies. Like yeah. you can think of the three hundred year pie, and you could think of the the convex that's or the the curve that's issued on a given day, right? Like how much that and that that's like the hundred percent that you're fighting over. So what is that? So anyone who yeah. has like a dominant of that share on a given day will ha- will be more likely to carry it forward into the next day. Well, and day think and about so that too. So Where that's coming from is actually not from CRV locked up, but TVL. I mean, to a degree, it's influenced by the CRV locked up. It's it's a combination of how much CRV you have locked up and your TVL. So, um, you know, Convex has three point. It's been growing like a million a day or a hundred million uh, in new liquidity to Convex every day. I think right now it's three point seven billion. Um, and the total value locked on curve is 10.4 billion. So let's just say a third. So a third of all mm-hmm. the liquidity in curve is on convex right now. So obviously the amount of boost impacts that, but theoretically you could say that's about a third um, of all the CRV issued every day going and then to convex. And then urine would about be a six. about a six. But 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 it's it, there. That yeah, but but it's it's influenced that. by the boost, and and so that's where you've seen some graphics on Twitter lately that show urine has a higher uh, boost on some pools, um, and some of that turns out to be where they weight their CRV on what pools, uh, but also because urine is, you they are using their fifteen million for a much smaller number of or value of liquidity. Uh, whereas Convex may have double the CRV locked of Yearn, but I believe it was like they have nine times the TVL. So that CRV that's locked is spread across more TVL. And the only reason that makes sense right now is because of the CVX inflation. So again, so yes, it is a race for, for Convex to continue locking more and more CRV to guarantee liquidity that they have now even as CVX becomes less and less uh, issued. To, to buffer that okay so it, it does make sense and i'm also thinking about like meme that i saw on twitter like you know there's this meme where there's like the guy talking into the woman's ear and she looks like bored and it's like yeah, yeah so yeah, like yeah. i'm glad we're ha- like i have this conversation now so like i don't have to talk about this with my family or like random people who are not interested in this right so uh like now we're, we're getting into the tokens and this is like the part that kills my brain so like I, I think probably like maybe the most useful thing to do would just be to like list all of the tokens that we're talking about and if you could give just like a quick rundown of each one yeah and then okay. what is like the the utility of it and like what do you think about and and i don't know how much you want to talk about like your in individual investing or like your thesis on each one um or who it might be be like like what, what the preference is of someone who might be interested in, in one versus the other, right? Like, or if you think this, then you're gonna wanna be in this. If that if that's cool with you, we'll just kind of like go into like a quick breakdown of each of the mm. tokens. That sounds fun, let's do it. Okay, so we've talked about Curve CRV. That's their reward token. Mm-hmm. So that's gonna be issued over 300 years. How many are issued per day? What's, what's the... It, what's the utility is there any utility uh beyond just buying and locking or buying and locking in either urine or convex okay so essentially you're saying why would you buy and lock with curve directly yes 
Or I think okay. you've said that that's probably doesn't make sense because you could do it in convex and get the extra rewards on top yeah. of it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I think they with convex especially because convex they just figured out how to get uh the EPS airdrops. So that that's been one of the benefits of locking curve uh is that essentially those are the most you people talk about diamond hands i mean that's the most diamond hands in crypto if you're willing to lock a volatile asset for four years so uh, some new protocols have been coming out and airdropping crv lockers the their initial supply because they say well if these are the most diamond hands in crypto then these are the people i want holding my token so there was eps uh which is essentially curve on uh, binance and they launched and issue 25 percent of their supply their total supply as it issues to CRV lockers. And one of the problems that you encountered was if you're with Yearner Convex and you're depositing CRV, well, then you're not able to claim that EPS airdrop. And this is just one of the airdrops that's available. So Convex just fixed it. You still can't claim on Yearn. I think that they just sell them to buy back. And, and so that does behoove everyone who's in it. But with Convex, um, you're able to now get those EPS re uh, rewards. They, they do distribute to your wallet specifically. So that's cool. Um, so with that, then we say that locking Curve CRV with Curve, the protocol, uh, provides a lot of benefits. However, it provides all of those benefits plus more locking it with Convex uh, at the very least and, and urine as well to a degree. Um, so, so to me, the only reason you would lock CRV on Curve, the protocol natively, is if you just simply do not want to take the additional layer of smart contract risk, um, as well as if you have some doubts that the peg can be maintained between your receipt token, because, uh, and I, I'm guessing that we'll get into this when we're listing tokens, but essentially, for every time you lock something, you get a receipt and that receipt is a token. Um, so I, I don't know if you wanna wait until we get to the other tokens for that, but there's there's the additional layer of smart contract risk and your uh, the ability of the peg for your receipt token is, is why you might wanna lock CRV up with Curve natively. Okay, so if I take CRV and I lock it up on Curve, um, I'm getting the boost, I'm getting these airdrops, and then you get this receipt token and that is VECRV, right? Yes, you're getting boosts, airdrops, and half of the fees that are generated. Um, mm -hmm. yep, yep. And and you get VECRV, which is essentially the receipt token for CRV. But the way that they do it is essentially that VECRV, -E uh, little VE, big CRV, is immediately uh, locked up in curve basically is how it works like you're not actually given that into your wallet because otherwise uh as a transferable token you're not given it uh because then people would create a secondary market and then in effect that crv is not locked um which which is the so functionality you, that convex and you're an offer okay so you cannot sell or buy ve crv like on uniswap Correct. or whatever okay Correct. So you would have to. We, 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 this was a problem. We were talking about it uh, in some of my discords, where, in theory, we were thinking, well, you could lock CRV, uh, have the VECRV -E accredited to your account, and then you just sell your MetaMask account or something like that. Maybe there would need to be some functionality for that, um, mm -hmm. because that would maybe be the only way to liquefy those that that value. Um, but now, now we have other options. But we'll get to that. 
And then if I have VECRV in one year or four years or whatever, does it just kind of like automatically get airdrop back into my wallet or do you have to unlock it like you would unstake a token on some other protocol? You know, because we haven't gotten to that yet, I'm not 100% sure. What I would assume is that there's a claim function that opens up uh, after that many years, but it could be an airdrop too. But uh, I would just guess that it's a claim. Uh, that way the, the gas fees on the user and they don't have to pull that from anywhere. Got it. Okay. So then the next one I think we should hit is the urn locked CRV, right? So if I take my CRV and I go and deposit it on urn, what, what is that token? Okay. And real quick, I want, we do want to say, um, CRV, should you, cause if we're talking about CRV natively, I think there might be some people who are looking at all this and they go, Oh, CRV, is going crazy. All of this is good for CRV. And you're right. However, does that mean you should hold the CRV token? Just buy it and hold it. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that makes sense as a strategy. It could. It could. But again, there's a lot of dumping, and we've been talking about that, where people dump CRV. Uh, so essentially, the value is to be farming with it, uh, not to be holding the token. Now, it could be $10 by the end of this year. It very well could be. I have that as part of my projections. Um, however, I wouldn't take that risk. I wouldn't just buy CRV personally and just hold it. I would be staking it. Um, so then to get to your question about Yearn, uh, when you stake CRV with Yearn, you're given a receipt token that is, let me make sure I get the acronym 100% correct. It's YVE CRV, right? Yeah, YE. I mean, like YVE-CRV-DAO, yeah. Okay. That's that's the whole name of it. Um, but I think when people abbreviate it, usually they just do YVE-CRV. Okay, yeah, it's funny. I was tw- I, I sent out a tweet to promote this podcast, and as soon as I sent, I realized I had like gotten two or three of these token names wrong. So I, I apologize, I I apologize yeah. to everyone, but it already gotten some... Uh, I saw it, but people had started retweeting and liking so, it. Right? Yeah, my my bad. Uh, if I if if you say my bad, no one can uh, no one can call you out on it, right? Yeah, no, no, uh, yeah, that's that's why covered. that's why we're putting in the work right here, right? <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, so YVECRV, yeah. that's if I've locked my ur- curve into urine, right? Yes, correct. Mm-hmm. That's your receipt token for that, and that is unlike. VECRV, that is permanent, right? You're never getting that back. You're you're locked in there forever, right? Correct. However, it's transferable. Mm-hmm. So that's the trade-off. That's the trade-off. Your receipt token is transferable now, but your CRV is locked forever. Mm-hmm. And so we've talked about PEG, right? So is it so that should theoretically trade about the same as curve lock or sorry, curve locked in governance in their DAO, or should it be at a premium because it's transferable now? So this is a bit of game theory that's still working itself out. In my mind, these receipt tokens should be worth more than CRV. And that's a bold statement. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But in my mind, these actually should be worth more because when you think about it, they are entitling you to everything locking curve CRV up with curve natively gives you plus performance fees from the liquidity 
uh, that's farming on these protocols, urine and convicts. Mm -hmm. So it's an it's a value add uh, to have that token. So to me, it actually doesn't make sense that these trade below value except for in one general circumstance, which is if I am in CVX CRV or if I am in YVE CRV and I'm making these dividends, that's great. I love it. And then a farm launches tomorrow that's paying a billion percent APY, as some of these crazy farms are. And if that's something that I want to be involved in, and a billion's an exaggeration, but I literally saw one for like three million the other day on mm-hmm. Polygon. Um, so if that's something I want to be involved in, maybe I decide I want to liquidate my receipt token and I want to go take that liquidity and go play on one of those farms. So I think that the scenario where these things break peg is more a sign that there are opportunities for greed and short-term gains elsewhere. So when the market is expanding, I would expect these things to be somewhat off of peg. And when the market's contracting, I would expect them to actually be worth more than CRV itself because you're entitled to additional yield on top of everything that CRV locking normally would give you. Um, so that's that's kind of the ebb and flow. Cool. So then CVX, CRV is the last one. That is the locked curve in convex, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. And how? What, what what is everything that you get with that? What's the case for that one? So, so with CVX, CRV, you get the fees from trading on curve paid in three CRV, which is a dollar stable coin that represents the fees that are earned. You get paid uh, the CRV rewards from liquidity uh, for that specific asset, CVX CRV, it's 10% of all the earnings uh, of CRV from the liquidity, so on convex. So the 3.7 billion on convex that's farming curve 10% 10% of all the CRV rewards that they make, that keep in mind you're helping boost with your locked CRV, uh, 10% of that comes back to you in the form of CRV rewards. And then 10% of that comes back to you in the form of uh, CVX rewards. So it's 10% of all the CVX that's, that's being earned as far as I understand it. And CVX is minted as CRV is earned. So again, it's getting kind of hairy, but as the liquidity providers earn CRV from farming curve, CVX mints. That's how CVX is minted. It has a function uh, that's algorithmic that mints depending on how much CRV Convex is earning. So if Convex is earning a lot of CRV, a lot of CRVX is getting minted. Um, And that also is a ratio or a percent that decreases by... Um, I believe it's 0.1% every 100k issued of CVX. Um, so coming back to the original point, for CVX, you get the fee rewards, you get the CRV rewards, you get uh, the CVX rewards, um, and that would be the additional thing uh, that you don't get anywhere else. And then you also get um, any of the airdrops. So far, we've just plugged in the EPS airdrops, but I'd assume that they're working on the other ones as well. Um, and again, that's why I think that it makes sense that that thing is valued more than CRV because it's it's everything CRV is getting plus uh, plus the CVX rewards at the very least, if not considering the the 
10% of CRV rewards uh, coming from the liquidity providers. And yet, is it is that trading still at a discount to CRV or it is, has, it, is it? Uh... Yeah, it has been one-to-one almost on the dot. Uh, it, it, I think at lowest maybe hit for a second, like 80%. As the market's fluctuating right now, it's ranging really hard. So um, it kind of goes between 95 and 100 percent is what I've been noticing. Um, but it's it's still so early. I mean, we really we're really early on it. Um, but what I anticipate is when you look at, uh, for example, when you look at uh, Yearns YVECRV, it's currently trading at 174. Let me refresh the page. 174. And CRV is currently trading at 226. So 1. Uh, 174, 226 is 77%. So Yearn's receipt is currently trading at 77% of CRV. Convex is currently trading at, I won't do the exact percent just because for the sake of time, but it's a, it's been between 221 versus 224. So that's, shoot, let's do it real quick. Pretty closer. It's 97.8%, so 98% basically. Um, and I think the reason being because that receipt is much more valuable because it entitles you to more than Yearns does. Um, but again, I think both of them theoretically should be above the value of CRV in a contracting or fearful market because it's more valuable than CRV and in just the, the, uh, the benefits. Gives you everything CRV, gives you plus more. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the way it should be in a contracting market, and we'll probably see things trend that way. You think all things being equal, probably the better play is CVX, CRV, because you're getting all of these extra um, rewards on top of it, plus CV, uh, CVX. It, I would say that's that's my play. That's uh, I, I, When I first started, I had a portion in CVX as well. Right now, I'm 100% CVX, CRV for what I'm in convex for. Um, and I intend to kind of start uh, stacking CVX as the pool APYs even out. I know I've been talking a lot about that on um, on uh, Twitter because there's a lot of factors, but it really does. When you eat all factors considered, it's as simple as if I'm earning both CVX and CVX CRV, and one of them one of the pools has a higher APY, I'll sell the other one for that and deposit it where the higher APY is. It really does kind of break down to that simple of a factor. Um, so a- as those pool APYs, I expect them to just trend basically even, uh, you know, more or less uh, for probably the entirety of Convex existing, um, which, yeah, uh, I expect those to trade relatively even. At that point, that's when I'll start investing more in CVX uh, and then just selling on hype waves because... I think some people will not understand that and and they'll just go oh convex is huge it's blowing up and they'll buy it you know psychologically uh not understanding that people are going to be dumping it as long as the apy for that pool is lower and and as the price of convex goes up this is helpful to explain as the price of convex goes up the pool apy goes lower just just nobody has to withdraw or uh, deposit or anything because it's in dollar terms so the same amount of cvx crv Mm. is being given to the CVX stakers, but if the dollar uh, value of that pool goes up because CVX goes up, then the same amount of CVX CRV is being issued for a higher dollar value of pool, APY goes down. So 
I, I, I think that they'll trend even, and when they don't, that's an opportunity. Um, and right now, the opportunity or is in... even to arbitrage between them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so right now, the opportunity is CVX, CRV, because the pool's higher. Okay, what about the, the CVX token itself? Like, what's the, the utility there? As a as an underlying, like, are they is it accruing any rewards or underlying protocol fees, or is it just strictly a governance token? Well, that that was my initial concern uh, when I got into this, and I was talking with it with a lot of people that I'm involved with. We were thinking, you know, this thing could go to zero, you know, and it was mooning, but we're like, this thing could go to zero, and if it does, what happens to the entirety of the protocol? And so I ran a bunch of math and hypotheticals with that to find out. Uh, and the way I see it, essentially, even if that thing went to zero, the CVX CRV pool still has considerable uh, APY, probably between 30 to 50%, just off of the performance fees of the liquidity that's on the protocol. But there's a lot of factors to that. There's so many factors. I was just trying to give myself a general bottom line, but I don't think it'll go to zero for two reasons. One, uh, you're earning a 5% performance fee by being in that pool. So 5% of all the liquidity, uh, their gains, the 3.7 billion, their earnings, 5% of that goes to CVX staking the pool. Uh, and we understand that liquidity on Convex is sticky in the sense that to some degree it will always be there because there will always be CRV locked up with Convex. And if there's always CRV locked up with Convex, there's always a boost to be had to deposit liquidity there, farming Curve, which means there's always an advantage to depositing there over depositing on Curve, uh, you know, to a certain degree. And so there will always be a performance fee. And if there's always a performance fee, then there's always some value to that CVX pool. And so there's value to CVX. Um, that's the simplest mathematical way to say that there's value in CVX. And then the other way to say it is, or the other reason is what they're working on implementing that they've confirmed through their Discord and Twitter is that you'll be able to use your locked CVX to vote um, on the gauge weights with Curve. And that's another thing that we, we didn't really talk about. Um, but essentially, Curve stakers uh, get to vote on which pools get prioritized for APYs, for rewards, for curve rewards. And, and the reasoning is actually integral. It's not just um, arbitrary and to let whales control where the rewards go. It's because this is essentially a foreign exchange market in the aspect that you know competing protocols and chains and et cetera issue their own stable coins. Um, and they have different mechanisms for which they stabilize them. But if a new farm comes out that uses USDC, well, now there's a ton of demand for USDC. Well, we want to incentivize liquidity for USDC. So it's kind of the, they vote on this every week. And so it's allowing CRV stakers to say, hey, what do we need liquidity for? And then we can incentivize it with CRV rewards. And that's flexible on what's happening in all of crypto, depending on what farms are popping up and et cetera. Um, so the, the power to affect those distributions of CRV rewards, it's, it appears from everything they're saying is going to be given to the CVX holders. So that is an additional value above and beyond. And, and the game theory of how that affects the price, we'll have to see. That's really interesting. So you could almost think of it like a, 
I don't know, like an activist hedge fund, like Convex is this fund that accumulates a bunch of shares of CRV and then is able to kind of vote in governance or kind of like influence it one way or another in a way that would benefit those initial holders, right? So like they're having more of an active voice in the governance going forward in a way that yeah. would, that yeah, would it, be more yeah. aligned with the, the Convex. You know, if you're on Convex, you have that like almost proxy vote in curve. Exactly, exactly. And, and that was always one of the arguments for Yearn too. Uh, and, and one of the worries was Yearn is acquiring so much of the share here, they're a massive voter and they could just swing votes here to however they want. So again, decentralization, decentralization, decentralization. And it's it's so good that Convex now is a uh, essentially another, you know, it, it's that problem with Bitcoin and mining where we say we have all these mining pools. If they acquire so much, they could vote. The mining pools could effectively change the chain. They could get that 51% attack mm-hmm. a lot easier theoretically, right? So that's why we want decentralization. So what these are are essentially curved mining pools. Convex is a curved mining pool. Urine is a curved mining pool. And um, so the more that we have, the better, I, I think, actually. Uh, and, and it will happen that there will be more because, like I said, as CVX rewards go down, it just makes sense that somebody else pops up and, and does this same thing what, of what Convex did to urine. And so there has to be conversation for that to happen in a decentralized system. Because um, the whole point is that there's no centralized party making unilateral decisions like that. Um, so they, they say, you know, and, and they may have inside info too, right? Like someone in urine might say, hey, there's this farm's popping up next week that's going to have, uh, you know, USDC as a pair, right? For instance, there's right now uh, iron on and Titan uh, on Polygon that's going crazy right now. It's, it's the, hot, the hot farm. Uh, it's a little bit of alpha to put in there for people who don't know. And um, that's the hot farm, and they're using USDC pairs. So we know we're going to need a lot of USDC liquidity. So let's gauge vote to make the USDC pools, the three pool, etc., have very high CRV rewards so people will put liquidity in those pools um, to help help those protocols balance their books, which is really... Curve Curve will be used by individuals, but I think really Curve is going to be used by whales and big protocols, um, like something like Synthetics. I don't know that Synthetics is the one to figure out synthetic stock trading, but whoever does is going to make a lot of money and be huge. And when they do, it's the essence of like, all right, I'm a rubies guy. I deposit rubies into Synthetics. Somebody else is a sapphires guy. They deposit sapphires into Synthetics. One of us wins betting on Tesla. And so there's rubies and sapphires, but maybe the sapphire guy won and he only wants to take sapphires out. So now synthetics has to balance their books. Well, when they're doing that, it's a big trade. And so they have to go to Curve and swap rubies for sapphires or USDC for USDT to make it practical uh, or to, to this market. But that's really who's going to be using Curve is protocols that need to make massive swaps for reasons like I just described. Well, I mean, this is like such a super uh, multifaceted question. And the one thing is like, we're completely in early days. Like this this conversation with the governance, I think is super fascinating, right? To see how these kind of mm-hmm. like sub pools of governance work out and can swing their weight around on these larger protocols and, and how that's going to play out long-term. But um, is, there, is there anything that we haven't covered about this dynamic that you think deserves, uh, deserves to to get a get a hearing here i think 
We covered the pros and cons for using each of these and what their coins are and do and how you can use them. So I think that's a huge part of it. Um, I think that people, when they're trying to like run hypotheticals and think this out with Convex specifically, um, should kind of look at the rewards that are earned for each of the pools and kind of just think that out and think how you think that might go. I, I have given my opinion kind of, but uh, for the CVX pool, you earn CVX CRV. For the CVX CRV pool, you earn CVX, CRV, and three CRV. And so as the, those are volatile assets that you're earning on, how do the changes in those volatile assets change the APYs of the pools? And why would those assets change in value under what circumstances? Um, and I think that's just an interesting line of questioning for people to kind of think out. And, and, and again, within the ebb and flow of contracting and expanding markets in general in crypto, uh, is the general market expanding or is it contracting? And then how does that affect people wanting safe farming? Well, cool. So, I mean, the, the last thing that we kind of got into a little bit earlier, but I wanted to, to come back into it is this question of inflation and how this kind of plays into the crypto ecosystem, right? Because like there's this kind of the core Bitcoin narrative is that uh, the, U the Fed is creating inflation and that's, you know, destroying the value of the dollar. But then here, you know, we have all of these crypto protocols and we've seen like with it, with, with the, the urine case and the, the convex case that you may, you've made the argument that being able to create this inflation in their native token is really the core advantage that convex has over urine now. So how do you see number one, like inflation in the stable coin markets? Like, is it, are we reaching a point where all these new stable coins coming out, some, some that are algorithmic and are creating value out of thin air that are not backed by any actual dollars like how how is that gonna hit the macro uh how inflation works like if crypto gets 100 times bigger is that gonna change the way we think about inflation and how, how do you think about inflation when, you, when you're talking about these these protocols who can come up with their own token and is, is inflation actually like a is it a competitive advantage in that case i think that inflation is relative like really what everything what the crypto movement is doing i think is organizing systems of value so like and relativizing them all uh so you know how is this pencil valued relative to this coffee cup and i'm just picking things in front of me um and and we have dollars that we use to represent that relativization of the value and so what we're doing is we're creating tokens to represent the value of systems and systems could be people too and things like that so i think that's where bitclout is kind of ahead of its time uh, and i know it gets a lot of uh shade but you know then you're going to have influencers who have their own tokens who show the value of the communities around certain influencers and around everything you know everything has a relative value and could be re compared to other things and so then inflation comes in and says well if everything's referring back to the dollar ultimately which is how it's been on the macro scale in the world um and the dollar is losing its value well the dollar still could be going up compared to the great british pound or the uh 
you know, the, the yuan or, or whatever it is, the dollar could still be going up even though it's getting devalued because maybe it's getting devalued less. Maybe they're devaluing their currencies more over there. So it's a whole game of relativity, um, which is why I think in crypto the trend is things like the bank protocol and the OM and OMIs um, because they are trying to establish a peg to and all the algorithmic stablecoins, they're just trying to establish a peg to one, the unit of account one, not necessarily one US dollar, or not even one with some of these protocols like Ohm and, and Bank. They're just establishing a peg to some, wherever wherever this system tends to, to level out. Um, and I think that's valuable because then you can start comparing the dollar in terms of these things and their inflation schedules. Because if you're losing your value of the dollar, at some rate that is very hard to measure, but you can let the market decide uh, that you know maybe it takes two dollars to buy one USDC or one die in the future, and I think that's kind of where we're headed as the market starts to make its psychological decisions on how many dollars are worth one die based on what the perceived inflation of the dollar is, um, and so I think that's where we're headed, and. Um, Inflation is a very important topic because, yes, Bitcoin, I think it was the thing that got this all started. And it's so important because there's no there's nowhere else that you have such certainty in scarcity that you can feel confident in a store of value. And he's trying to challenge that with 1559. But there's there's nowhere else, I think. Gold is where people have historically said that you can do that. But still, there's how much gold's being mined. How do you know who's mining it? Who owns the mines? Are they storing some somewhere you don't know about to release later? There's so many questions. And with blockchain, we're able to verify, not trust, right? And and so there's a tendency to go into this, I think, for a lot of people and think, well, inflation is bad then. And, and that's that's I think that's not the best way to look at it. I think that inflation it's not good to have inflation and no store of value. Once you have a store of value, you only really need one of them. And then everything else can be inflationary. And there's value in that because this is, uh, I like to think of it like the, you know, the storming of uh, smog in his mountain and, and the, you know, in the Lord of the Rings and the mm -hmm. Hobbit and going to smog's cave and getting the, the gold that he's hoarding. And, uh, the reason why we have myths like that, I think, is to show this kind of principle, which is, all right, if really the dollars are, or the whatever it is, seashells, dollars, gold, is representing human labor in the sense that we're getting paid for our labor in these representatives of our labor, and then that representative thing is just stashed and dragon hoarded away somewhere, well, then we're essentially wasting human labor. And I think that's the most fascinating way to look at the benefit of inflation is to say, well, inflation discourages dragon hoarding. Inflation discourages people from just holding human labor hostage and forces them to release it because otherwise that stored labor uh, is getting devalued because there's inflation against it, right? Um, so that's the benefit of inflation. That's why I think for all of these productive systems, you want inflation. 
for as long as you can have it at a predefined and determined rate that's transparent and that everyone can see so we can plan for it, which is not what we have with the US dollar. We cannot plan for the rate at which the Federal Reserve is going to inflate it and how they spend it. However, with these systems, we can say, hey, curve. Curve is inflating at this rate. The rate changes like this. It's paid in these ways. And how is it paid? It's paid to people who are providing value to these systems, which is why I said don't just buy Curve and hold it, because you're going to get inflated against. And it may work out for you because we're in the explosive phase of adoption of these things. And so the Curve price might go up from $3 or $2 to 10 maybe. But it's more valuable to put that thing to productive use so you earn and don't get inflated against. Um, and that's what we'll see play out as this explosive adoptive phase starts to turn into more of a stable usage phase uh, as, as more and more of these things reach their critical mass. Uh, it will really not make sense to just be holding these assets. You will have to be putting them to productive use. And I argue that that's a good for society because it forces the store, these stores of value to be put to new productive use as opposed to just letting the labor that created them uh, fizzle and, and um, be wasted. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, like the other, the other way to look at it is like as technology improves, the sort of sum of value that's available in the world goes up too, right? So now we have planes, we have electricity, we have factories, we can produce more stuff. Like... The currency has to inflate to keep track of that expanding value that's coming with like human ingenuity right and like having it seen as that system like you you know inputting dollars to make new stuff to make new technologies to increase everyone's utility that has to have like there has to be some way of capturing that upside right or else it's just this one lump of gold that everyone's fighting over for the rest of time <laughs> yes yeah, that makes sense. And it, it, I think that's the, it's a very similar point to what I made, you know, like you're rewarding that, that ingenuity uh, with the inflative rewards. And so that's what we're doing. Like you, you, you know, in yearn, you come up with a good, uh, well, they, that's not a good example because they don't pay Wi-Fi, but if they did, you come up with a good strategy and it gets implemented, you get paid in Wi-Fi, you know, for coming up with that strategy and, and, and advancing the tech per se, right? Coming up with planes from riding around in Model Ts and, and there's a reward for that. And it's transparent and, and algorithmically defined. Yeah, I mean, I think that was the second kind of like point in my earlier ramble that I was trying to get to is like that it, if your token is finite and emitted in this blast, then you're kind of at a disadvantage because you can't, you know, you don't have that inflation to play with and use as a reward. And Right, right. And so now Wi-Fi becomes a dragon hoarding tool and that's that's no good. Um, I, I, I think that... Uh, I, it's interesting. I, I have this idea of what they might do. Um, and I'm just throwing this out there into the ether. But um, you know how we have like class A and class B stocks. One of them are voting, one of them are non-voting. Well, what they could mm -hmm. do is issue a new token that's a class B non-voting stock. So you don't get governance rights with it. But it is, and it earns some percentage of the performance fees from Yearn. Uh, that gives it, you know, some inherent value and not just as a belief token. And then that thing is issued over, you know, a long term, like 300 years, like CRV. Um, and that's paid out as rewards uh, within the Wi-Fi ecosystem. So that that could be an answer that they choose to make, because I think they have to do something. Um, 
I think they'll grow regardless because them as a DeFi hedge fund, the talent that they have and their developers, the community that they've built up, there is absolute value in those things. And so people will want to put money in Yearn. But within the uh, with the open source nature of crypto, anything that they do could be copied by another protocol that's giving incentives. And and so the route you know Uniswap's taken is Uniswap. I actually kind of I I personally look a little down on in some respects because they went against the ethos of crypto and kind of closing their code and doing things like that. And um, and I understand why they did it, you know, because you put so much time into coming up with this stuff. Uh, and then, you know, Curve came out recently doing the volatile asset pools and they showed you their math. Not that you're going to understand it or that you, you know, might have to take a graduate math course to get what they're doing. Uh, but if you want, you could copy it. You could take the time to figure it out. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that white paper, the five pager uh, that came out for the V2 curve. I did look at it, but just in the sense of, you know, people posting on Twitter how complicated it is and yeah. and uh, yeah. how no one understands it. So I, I didn't really, yeah. <laughs> I gave it a good like half hour, hour, and then I was like, enough to feel like it's not gibberish, but not enough to understand it at all. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing. Like, you know, we were talking earlier, like, you know, one of the kind of like narratives of DeFi is like, oh, it's code and anyone can look at the code. But like, how many Solidity developers are there that can actually like audit this stuff and the oh, yeah. people that are auditing, you know, that's not a guarantee of anything. Right. So like, that's why I like having conversations like these with people who, you know, it's basically like a full time job to to understand like even one of these protocols. Like I would encourage you like we've only just like scratched the surface of this. Like I'd be happy to record another one of these or you should go start a Substack that's just, just like exclusively on these, you know, series of questions, right? Cause it's such like, like I think that's the way things are gonna be going. Like, you know, people, someone's gonna make a niche for themselves as like the curve daily email guy or like the curve daily podcast person, you know, like there's just so much nuance and all the governance questions that come up each week. Like it's really more than a full-time job for someone. It is. It is. And there's so much of a niche for that, for being able to be a bridge. And, and that is the role that I want to function for some degree, to some degree. And, and I'm just figuring it out because I think that, you know, you see this too with, uh, you know, wanting to maybe start this podcast and kind of taking some steps towards it is like, you know, and I've seen this in other areas of my life where you, you commit yourself so fully to something uh, and you, you burn out. You know, and, and I think there's a there's something to be said for taking your time with it and letting your interest in what you do build uh, as it naturally wants to do. And so, like, you know, I've, I've created accounts on other subject matters and things that outside of crypto that I've gone really into. And, and there are things that I like, but I just, I for, you know, I, I call it kind of like being the dictator over myself and like forcing myself to do more than what I feel like doing. And, and then when I do that, I then end up, end up presenting the thing. And, and so it's like taking my time to be involved in it with what feels right at the moment. And so it's escalating. And, and I've, this, this podcast was a step towards that. And uh, I really appreciate you having me. Um, it was a step towards, towards doing more. And, and it felt right at the time that you asked. Uh, and I'm posting more on Twitter, more and more, and feeling really good about it. Uh, I really, really enjoy being able to you know, help people understand all of this. Uh, and, and do something with all the time that I spend in this other than just make money because uh, 
it's not it's not ultimately fulfilling you know anyone anyone who's made any portion of money will tell you it's not fulfilling and and you might just go for more to try to make it more fulfilling uh by buying a bigger boat or a bigger house or etc but i think most people understand that fundamentally it's not rewarding in of itself you have to do something with it and so with spending nine to twelve hours a day researching this stuff for the past nine months you know that's been the frequency and that came naturally i didn't force myself to do that i was just that interested and and like you said i mean still like i have things came up today i have questions i don't know about and and you would think like nine to twelve hours a day just researching for nine months like you know you should you should pretty much be able to understand the whole space but you just still get a sliver because there's so much going on and it's so uh yeah there's there's so much yeah and I think like I can kind of feel this like the crypto ethos of like if if you believe that this is going to be the next financial system and this is what we're building here, then it's really all of our duty to like get people on board and have these really basic conversations and uh, educate uh, you know people like me that don't know what they're doing and uh, and and teaching about this stuff because it's not it's not simple it's it's very difficult on a number of levels and like the game theory level the knowing what's going on in protocols level, the knowing the technical stuff and coding and learning solidity, like there's a lot of work to be done and it makes sense to to leave a ladder down for, for the next uh, next group of uh, people who are coming on board. So so thank you. Um, I know we've gone a, a long time and I need to pee. Uh, so let's just wrap up. So what, <laughs> what, what other projects do you like? Like what are you looking at when you're not looking at Curve? Um, and real quick, let's put a feel out there because within that... Uh, thing that you last said i agree i want um anyone who's a solidity dev who understands this stuff like please reach out on twitter because i have very again bridging bridging i have interest in uh trying to help people understand the code more and myself understanding the code more and being able to kind of like you know i know you're kind of forming a little research thing uh you know unit of however that ends up expressing itself and manifesting but uh you know, and I'm in a similar place, so I, a very valuable asset would be to someone who understands solidity and can help bridge that gap for for our knowledge and for other people's knowledge to help get that out there and and try to, you know, like you said, the audits cannot always be trusted, and we just need more more people who understand the code to help bridge the understanding the gap of understanding. Um, and, and as for projects, um, gosh, you know, I I was in so many things. Uh, earlier this year and I think that that when the markets are really churning that's maybe a good strategy um, if you have high conviction as I've had high conviction on curve for a long time since it came out and I still wasn't very heavy into it because I saw it as the stable long-term thing and I wasn't trying to play that game yet I was trying to play the short-term game so you have to be like aware of where you're at and where the protocols you're involving yourself in are at um, and so I was, I know Ave was a big investment for me at a time. Um, I've gotten into some smaller, like a lot of NFT systems. That was something that I really got inspired towards uh, because I had the fortune of getting involved in hash masks. I bought five of them, just kind of said, these are cool, whatever, let's see what they do. And that ended up being, you know, a, a 5X investment wow. and it started NFT season. And uh, so you know after that i was like nfts are so cool and i have now made maybe the most money total on nfts of anything else because i just like i had this early win and it 
got me excited and I do love art. I've always loved uh, the artistic side of things. My mom's an artist. Um, and so, you know, I've really had a lot of fun with NFTs and not just NFTs, but their systems. I invested in the systems behind them. And while everyone was investing in NFTs, I did a little bit of that, but I did a lot of like Muse. I wrote Muse from 90 cents. It went up to like 120 at the height. Like, like things like that, you know, because it was just systems and I saw like, here are all these NFTs and the systems are just getting started. And so that's, I'm a systems guy. So that was cool for me. And um, so, so as, as, as to now, I mean, Badger, I know you're from Badger. Uh, that's your, maybe your focus of understanding. Um, I'm big on Badger. I love Badger. Um, so I'm still invested in that, but I have moved most of my funds to Convex because to me, it aligns my short and long-term incentives. Uh, or horizons like I I know that or I believe that curve is going to be a very long-term protocol and I'm going to benefit from being there long term and now with convex since it's so new it's a very good short-term opportunity I see as well so I get to align my short and long-term incentives so I went almost 100% in as soon as I understand it understood it and had done all my research and hypotheticals um and then the other 20%, so I'm saying if this is like my real long-term, just making an APY more steady, I've taken 20% and I'm playing around um, with some of the riskier stuff because I just, I have fun with it, you know? Uh, like I just got into Polygon. I, I don't do Binance because the crypto idealist in me has some, some uh, you know, gripes about that. But I got into Polygon just now, and uh, I've been playing around with some of the silly farms on there, and you know, it's just, it's just fun. It's just fun. Whether or not it actually does something significant, well, is yet to be seen. Um, but that's that's right now. I'm pretty much 100% convex CRV. So awesome. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big proponent, and this has been been a real change in my investment style. Like I used to be quite conservative, and then. Uh, I was reading some stuff and, uh, you know, like the kind of like never lose money, don't forget rule number one. But then, you know, if you're in this world where technology is changing so quickly, like you just, you absolutely have to have like an R&D fund, like some percentage where you're just putting it into the wildest shit, like the newest stuff, mm -hmm. just to see how it works, right? Because yeah. like with crypto, it's, you know, there's so many new things coming out, like you just have to play with it and, and be early on stuff, right? And so... You know, I, I was happy to uh, lose some money on some scams. Like that's probably like the best tuition in all of uh, <laughs> crypto, right? Getting rug pulled and, and finding out how these things. Yeah, work. you have to try. You have to, because because it just it's different than theorizing. It just is, you know. And we all know that. Uh, but yeah, I, I love I love all the, all the opportunities I've lost money on. Um, and obviously in crypto, like like you said earlier, you know, you only need you may only need one winner. Um, likely you'll have many more, but uh, it only takes one to offset the losses of many others. Um, and, and and another, you're talking about changes in investment strategy. Before I got into the crypto groups I'm into now, the discords and etc., I I was much more conservative in new opportunities. But I noticed some of the best guys. The, like the apage, you know, mm -hmm. and that term, you know, aping in, it is a powerful thing. And and it's it's obviously something to be done with a lot of, uh, you know, consideration and awareness of the pitfalls. But I've more switched to strategy after seeing what so many people I know and I'm associated with do is 
I almost put money into something, you know, not maybe the full amount I might, but like some amount into something just right when I see it and it feels like a good idea. And I have that intuitive kind of like this may be big. Right. And then that investment forces me to do more research and then I may invest more or I may pull out. But I get my foot in the door first because not only could things move so fast and the likelihood is if something triggered me, whether it was a Twitter post or whatever it was that got me looking at that protocol, the odds are there are other people that the same thing happened to. And so if I could get my foot in the door early and not have to do my research first, the odds are that might be a great bet, at least in the micro, micro, micro short term. And then I do my research and I say, you know what, I want to pull it out or I want to put more in. But getting that foot in the door and just kind of going for it, there's something to be said for that uh, with obviously some risks and caveats attached. Well, uh, Crypto ID List, dude, thanks so much for, for taking the time. This has been really fun. Hopefully uh, we'll do this again sometime. But, but thanks so much for your time and, and for sharing your, your knowledge on this. Thank you, man. I, I very much appreciate the opportunity. It's been, uh, like you said, it's been fun. And uh, I, it's exciting. I've always wanted to go on a podcast and kind of do that thing. And I've always wanted to start one myself. So this gives me a little inspiration. Uh, and uh, yeah, likewise, I'd love to come back on and talk about something else. Absolutely. All right. Take care. You too. Thanks, Wasabi.